you can go ahead and seat yourself if you like, and we're going to dive into God's Word tonight, and, and um, you know, I, you know, I do have a, um, you know, a heart for the people of God. I love people. I love being around them. I have my entire life. I've always been an extrovert, and, and um, um, even really when I probably had no business being an extrovert, I was never an athletic person, and uh, never this, never that, and whatnot, but I just love to be around people, and um, I hate to see people struggle. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult on me. It weighs on me, and um, as people, and I, I'm teaching already, as people, we we have a tendency to, to struggle in, in, in a lot of ways, and, and I've been thinking a lot about just about time. Bishop was talking about time the other day and trying to wrap my head around the fact that God existed before there was even time. Not really sure how that works, but I know that it does, and um, that he created time um, and put all this in motion. And, and I think about our own personal struggles reconciling with time. Some of us struggle with the past. We, we tend to overthink the past, and we, we dwell on it, and we, you know, we know that hindsight is twenty twenty, And so we have a tendency sometimes as people to kind of look back at our choices, look back at, at the decisions that we make and, and the choices that we make, and, and, and those choices weigh on us. And some of us struggle with the, the here and now, the, the present, you know, feeling of inadequacy and not feeling that, that you're good enough and maybe not that you're quite going to, you know, be what you want to be in, in this moment. You know, I have that uh, a, a lot of moments, typically when I step on the scale in the morning, I see that number and it's not quite where I want it to be. It's a whole lot better than what it used to be, though. And so, but, uh, but still in those moments, you know, I just kind of like, oh, come on, did I have to have that extra scoop of strawberry ice cream? And uh, it's like, yes, I did. And um, um, so anyway, then some of us struggle with the, the future. And we, we, we worry, had that fear of failure. And we look at those sayings and we, and we struggle with that. And we, we, we wonder if we're ever going to be exactly what we are called to be. If we're ever really going to accomplish our dreams. And, and, and. So anyway, it's just been on my mind and my spirit, you know, struggling with those different things, those different times in our lives. And we, some of us struggle with different portions of those, maybe one more than the other. I think probably all of us, we were honest tonight, we would say that we, you know, struggle with a little bit of all three of those types of descriptions. But um, so anyway, if, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 9 and, um, as, as a way of introduction for what the Lord wants to say to us tonight. Um, as this story kind of being our, our, our launching ground into a message, and maybe you saw the title from the, uh, the posting on you know, Facebook or YouTube, but you know, I'm talking tonight about, about the blame game. And uh, in John chapter 9, uh, the Bible says, and as Jesus passed by, starting verse 1, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and ignored the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. Um, so I'm talking about the blame game tonight, and we as a, as a human race, we, I don't know if you knew this, not, 
we don't typically do anything wrong. Just our human nature. We tend to have a good reason for why we are in the situation that we find ourselves in from time to time. Having fathered three boys uh, over the last eight, 18 plus years and having taught school and having been in ministry for over 20 years, Bishop, I'm glad you're sitting down for this. People don't tend to take responsibility for their own actions. I know, I know, I hate to shock everybody, uh, but we have a tendency to, to, to like to play the blame game. It's, 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 never, it's never our fault. Again, I think back to my, my nine years in the classroom and many missing assignments, many times kids doing you know, poorly on a, on a test or a quiz, and it certainly was never their fault. It was never because they didn't study. It wasn't because they didn't prepare. It wasn't because they didn't take notes in class. It certainly wasn't because they had a boring teacher. Um, it, 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 was, it was always somebody else's fault, somebody else's reason. And, I, and I'm not above this. I am the baby of the family. I am four, I'm the youngest of four boys, as I know I've probably told you many times over. Um, and trust me, I did no wrong growing up as a kid. Being the baby, are there any babies in the family? Sorry about that. Yes, my people. It's great. I love being the baby of the family. We never do anything wrong. Why, yes, mother. My older brother, Kyle, who did not weigh 100 pounds until he was 16 years, years old, he does punch really hard. That hit really did hurt. I am crying because he pushed me over, even though I've always outweighed my brother, I think, since birth. And, um, but yet, as the baby of the family, Brother Adam, it was great because I could just blame him. It was his fault. He's the reason why we got in the fight. He's the reason why I'm crying. He is the reason why this got broke, that got broke, this got pushed over. He's the reason why, you know, always a great reason. This is just human nature, right? We always like to pass the buck on things. And look, we, we get it honestly, right? This, this, is, this, is, this is nothing new. We've been assigning blame since day one. If we were to look at Genesis chapter 3, the very, very first sin comes into, into the world. Adam and Eve eat of that fateful tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. God comes into the garden, catches him red-handed, and he has this conversation with him. Starting in verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he, speaking of Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereby I command thee that thou shouldest not eat. Now, hindsight being twenty twenty, Adam just should have said yes. This is what he should have said. I'm always curious of how the rest of the book would have been different if Adam had just said, yes. That is exactly what I did. You got me busted. Hey, this is what I did. I, good call, God. I don't know how you saw me, but I did. This is exactly what I did. But no, this is not what he says. Adam, oh, Adam. He's, the man said, the woman Who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Not only does Adam blame his wife, which, by the way, John, I know you're newly married. This is a bad plan from, day, from the get-go. Not only does he blame his wife, but he actually blames God, the woman that you gave me. I mean, that is strike one, two, and three, and a whole lot of other strikes. 
he instantly blames his wife and the God who gave him his wife. Also, really bad idea. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that thou hast done? And the woman says, well, I ate of it first. No, wait, that's what she probably should have said. But she says, well, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So she turns and says, the serpent, which she doesn't flat out say this, but it could be interpreted this way, which, by the way, God, you made. He's the one who beguiled me. It's his fault. And Adam and Eve start down us as a people on this pathway of just playing the blame game, just shifting it around. It's never my fault. I didn't mean to do it. It wasn't me. It wasn't my, it wasn't my idea. This person got me into this. That person made me do this. The devil made me do it. My wife made me do it. My brother made me do it. I was with a crowd of people, and there everybody else was doing it. We've all said it as much as that cliche. There's a reason why that, that joke is a cliche. It's because we all have done it a time or two. We've talked ourselves into it to go along with the crowd. We're just, we just, there's always some other reason of why we are in the situation we are in. Now, for those of us who are, you know, 40 and above, I remember as a kid reading those old family circuses. I used to love the family circus. While we're doing surveys, I guess tonight, I guess it's survey night. How many remember family circus? Okay, great. Again, just, all of us were in a, in a certain age bracket. That little circle had all the kids. And whenever and something was broken, the mom always said, who did this? And the kid would say, something like, not me. And there would be like a little silhouette, ghost of a looking thing with a shirt that said, not me on it. Always shifting blame. I always liked that. My dad used to read us Saturday morning comics. And he always did the funny voices when my dad would read comics. That was always a good time as a kid. But I used to always look forward to the family circus because I was looking for ideas of how to get out of trouble. And so, um, so anyway, because that's what we do. We shift. Something comes our direction. We know we're caught. We know we've made a mistake. We know we've messed up. But nope, let me just quickly kind of divert your attention. And we come up with the most ridiculous excuses of why we have done the things that we have done. And again, we get it pretty honestly. Just as one more little example of this in the book of Exodus chapter 32. You know the story of this one well. Also, Moses has come down. From the mountain, all the people of, of Israel are all just being morons, doing sin. Aaron has led them into this direction. And Aaron and Moses are having this conversation about what in the world's going on. And in verse 22, Aaron said, let not the anger of the Lord wax hot. Others don't get mad at me. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. It was I, Moses, I couldn't stop him. You know these people. They're a bunch of heathen. I mean, come on, Moses. You know what happened here. You were gone. And they said to me, make us gods which shall go before us. For, and for, as, uh, for, as this, for this Moses, the man that thou brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. We don't know what happened to Moses. And I said to them, whosoever have, whosoever have any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it me, then I cast it into fire. And there came out this calf. I mean, what, who, what made Aaron think that was going to work? Have you ever thought about this lie? I mean, I wonder, like, was Aaron, like, telling a lie? Have you ever, like, lied and didn't mean to lie? Now, now don't raise your hand on that. And so, 
But I think we've all have done it. Someone asks us a question, and we say something, and we go, wait, no, that wasn't true. I don't know why I didn't even said that. That's ridiculous. I think Aaron, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to make an excuse for the poor brother. Maybe he had that moment. He was panicky. The boss was back from being out of town. Pastor was back after being out of town. You know, and you're like, okay, um, well, you know, you know how God, like, you know, how the, you know, we've seen all these miracles. We've seen the Red Sea parted, and we've seen, you know, all these frogs, and, and we've seen darkness, and this, this, and this. Well, I got another miracle to tell you about Moses. I took all this gold, I threw it in the fire, and this calf jumped out. And somehow, Aaron thought that excuse would work. And I also wondered, how would things have been different if Aaron had just come clean right away? What, what, how would have God reacted differently? How would have God handled that situation differently? How, how would have the people, would, would, would as many people who end up dying in that incident, would those same people have had that same event if Aaron had just not played the blame game, took responsibility for his actions, repented, and come clean? He was already busted. But we have a tendency to blame others uh, for uh, our situation. We have a tendency to blame ourselves or the situation that we're in. But, you know, not... Uh, not in a productive way. Usually when we're doing this, it's a way that locks us up. It's a way that, 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 that gets us into a, a state of paralysis. You know, our mentality is that if it's, it's not our fault, then we don't have to fix it and we can't fix it. This is why people like to blame other things for it. It's because if I can blame somebody else, if it's not my fault, then it's not my responsibility to fix the situation. And, 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 and again, I go back to my days of teaching school and I will tell you that sometimes school teachers, that we can be just as guilty of this. That, you know, whenever something's not going well in our classroom, man, it's, it's, it's these kids, it's their parents, they don't care about education at the house. We have all this list of, of excuses. And I remember used to saying in leadership teams sometimes, that, hey, let's take, some, let's take our own responsibility. Because I can only fix one person's problem, and that's my own. That if I will quit shifting the blame to other people, if I quit shifting the blame around, let me, see, let me look at the things that I can fix. Let me take a look at my own responsibility in my own actions. Let me look at how what my choices did to get me in this situation. And I like that because it gave me that, that little bit of that empowerment that if I would take responsibility for my actions, that I knew that there were some ways that I could, um, could fix it. But we don't tend to do that. We tend to try to find fault in things. We... We think, what's the point of cleaning this up? Because so-and-so is just going to break it again. So-and-so is going to just mess it up again. Some of us look at disasters in our lives. We treat it like our own bed. Why would I make it? I'm just going to get back in it later. Right? Which is why, you know, if you make your bed, then that's fantastic. I would just assume never make a bed. Um, and so uh, don't worry. We're not going to survey that one tonight. That's, that's your own business. But um, so anyway, we let different reasons of why we let... Um, we decide to blame other things, why we play this blame game, why we shift things around, whether it's because of fear or doubt or self-loathing or shame. But all of it, it gives us a paralysis. None of the things, when we begin to place blame on something, none of it actually resolves any issue. And that's the problem with placing blame. That's the problem with not taking responsibility. It's a problem with being involved in this type of a mindset. It's because if all we ever do is place blame on other people and other situations and other, and we try to deflect, right? We become like a kung fu master, just trying to throw something at me. I just knock it away because I don't want any part of it. But blaming 
somebody else or, or passing the buck or even just focusing on the blame of the situation never resolved anything and never got anybody anywhere. You know, they, they, they looked at them. I, I was thinking on through other things. I was thinking about in, in Numbers chapter 11. They, when they were uh, after the spies, going to spy the land. They had, the, look, we would do this, God. We would go and we would conquer the land, but we are as grasshoppers in their sight. This is, don't be mad at us, God. You know, we're, we're grasshoppers in their sight. Listen, I have, a, I have a reason why I'm not going to accomplish the thing that you asked me to accomplish. That was their blame. We would have done it. But there were giants in the land. And God, you knew there were giants in the land when you sent us there. And you knew we had no business going up against giants. We are as grasshoppers in their sight. They played the blame game, and it cost them 40 years wandering around the wilderness. All right? So, so we cannot let the blame game stop us from accomplishing and doing the things that God wants us to accomplish. Last example of this that I have here, and we'll move on to some of the other things about this, because this is what I mean by the paralysis of this. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching the parable of the talents. And you know the, that parable, five talents, ten talents, meaning it's one talent. And the man tells, in the way Jesus told the story, the Bible says in verse 24, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And went and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there hast that is thine. There thou hast that is thine. Um, so he didn't do it. He didn't do it with what his master had commanded him to do. But look, he had a good reason. And that's what he convinced himself of. He convinced himself that my reasoning of why I cannot get through this situation should be good enough for the master. He talked himself into it that... I'm going to blame the master because you are a hard man because of the way that I know you would react if I lost my talent. And so because of how, because of you, it's not my fault that I didn't, I didn't do what you said. It's not my fault that I'm not doing the things that I've been asked to do. It's because of how I know you would react if I come up short when I try. And so he allowed that fear to give him paralysis and he never actually accomplished what the master had said. So we have a tendency to say things like when we get ourselves in a situation, when we, when we get ourselves struggled, and we, and we find ourselves in, in a place where we don't want to be. Sometimes it's hard for us as people to then and come and talk to that master because we have the same view of the master that this man had. Now, we criticize this man in Matthew 25, but I would dare say that many of us have that same view of God. That, you know, God, I would come to you, but I know, listen, that hellfire thing is no joke. I don't want to go there, but I'm, so, I'm also afraid to talk to you because I'm afraid that you're going to be angry with me. Right? How, how many times have you avoided prayer because you knew that when you began to pray, God was going to talk to you about what you did the day before, about what you said, what you thought, and you don't want to come and pray because you know that you're going to have to have a hard conversation with God, and he's going to ask you, did you eat of that tree? He's going to ask you, why is there a golden calf in your house? He might ask you, why haven't you done the thing with the talent that I asked you to do with your talent? And we start beginning to shift and we say, God, look, I, I can't come and pray. And that's how we feel sometimes. 
I can't come and pray. Because if I come and pray, I know I'm going to be praying to an angry God. I know I'm going to be praying. And, and that, again, I'm not saying that God's going to be angry. But that is our perception of the situation. And so we end up just doubling down. And we blame God. We blame the situation. And what blame ultimately will always lead to is bitterness. When we shift the blame towards other people, towards situations, towards God, towards the word of God, towards, towards our parents, towards this or that or the other, I don't care what it is. When we begin to play the blame game, it will always lead to bitterness. And bitterness will always lead to sin, and sin when it's finished will always lead to death. This is why we cannot get suckered into this game, right? Because, listen, this is not a game that you and I, you know, just, just can, can play around in. This is the game that got them way back in the garden, and it got them kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they did not want to face the situation that they had got themselves into. All they want to do was blame his wife, blame God, blame the serpent. And I always wonder what would have happened if they had just bent the knee and asked for forgiveness. Could they have stayed in the garden? Could, they, could, could, God had, could, could that pathway have been different for humanity? You and I will never know. Right? But what you and I can know is that we cannot get suckered into this game. And this is the game that the devil wants us to get suckered into. Because when we are playing the blame game, we are not resolving our situations. We're not facing our problems. We're not getting better. We're not overcoming sin. We're not improving in our lives. The blame game is a game that leaves us full of paralysis. Because sin is a seed. Just like the word of God is. Sin is a seed. And blame is just you watering that seed. Now listen, I get it. We reap what we sow. And many of you might look at something, sometimes, you know, we feel like we deserve the things that we get. We get in situations, and sometimes we have trouble giving them to God. I'm convinced of this, Bishop, is because we just feel like, well, I got myself in this situation. I, I deserve whatever punishment God lays on me. I deserve it. I earned it. Sometimes we feel like we earned it. You know, I'm struggling with my finances. I'm struggling with this, struggling with that. I'm facing this. I, I can't give it to God because I feel like I brought it on myself. I feel like I've just, I, I've, I've earned whatever punishment is coming next. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Even when we begin to blame ourselves for our situations. Now, now granted, we are ourselves, we do have ourselves to blame. But sitting there and just self-loathing about it. Sitting there saying, well, I guess it's just my lot in life. I knew I was going to fall back in that sin. So what do we do? We just keep, go right back to it. I knew that I was to struggle with this. God, you gave me this job. You gave me these finances. You know, God, I'm terrible with money. And yet God blessed me, and then I'm terrible with my money. And then we, and we just self-loathe over it. Okay, I'm never going to overcome this. I'm never going to accomplish this. I'm never going to get, get past this. I guarantee that there is a sin that every one of us thinking from time to time. How long am I going to struggle with this? How long am I going to fight this? How long am I going to? I'm never going to be able to overcome it. I, I, I guarantee that every one of us in this room has had a sin in our life where you have felt like, I am never going to actually going to overcome this. I don't know if I ever can. I, this, this, must, this must be my lot in life. I'm always going to fight it. I'm always going to struggle with it. And we sit there, we just blame ourselves. We blame this, blame that. 
Here's the reason why I can't overcome this. Here's the reason why I can't get past this. And the whole time, we have the seed of sin, and every time we put more and more blame on it, we are just allowing that sin to grow deeper and deeper roots in our life. So, like, I get it. We will reap what we sow. But here's my question for us tonight. Why are we still sowing those things then? There's nothing that says we have to keep sowing it. Nothing says we have to keep watering it. A seed isn't going to grow if we don't water it. Now, Bishop talked about that the other, other night about, this, about the Word of God. Remember, he, thought he, had his, he had the seed in his hand. He screamed at it. I won't do that in the microphone for us tonight because um, it scared me that night. And it made me jump over that by out of my seat. But, you know, but what are we supposed to do with the seed? We take it, we plant it, and we water it. And that's what we do with, with the Word of God, what we do with, with our life with God, our walk with God. But it's what we also do with sin in our life whenever we refuse to deal with it. Instead, what God wants us to do is to see that seed of sin, see that struggle, come to God cleanly about it, let God take his hand, let him dig his hand into the dirt of our life and pull that sin up by its roots. And that is the only way you and I are ever going to overcome the things that you and I struggle with. Because that is what tonight is all about. It's not about being stuck in a blame game saying this is the way things are always going to be. But it's about overcoming the things uh, that you and I struggle with on a daily basis. Uh, because you and I do not have to struggle on a daily basis with sin. We can be better. We can get past this. You can overcome it. Uh, you are not, this is not your lot in life. You will not always be angry. You will not always struggle with your finances. You will not always have to fight lust. You don't always have to fight all these other sins in your life. God has a desire to pluck those things out of you and to give you a new life. I remind us tonight that the Bible says, and I told you the last time I taught from behind this pulpit that I've been stuck in the book of Romans this year. Then in Romans 8, there is now, therefore now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is, a law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So while the devil would like for you to, to, to self-loathe and self-blame and, and self-pity your way through life, God is here to give you victory over sin. Because there is no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, that seed of sin is no longer in your life. But the seed of righteousness is the seed that you and I should be watering. That is the seed that we should be pumping I mean, all the fertilizer we can into. I want that seed to grow in my life. Because I do not want to always struggle with the things that I fight. And God has given us a way out. Can I remind us that the prodigal son was immediately re reinstated to full sonship? Think about all that he did. Think about how much blame he could have had when he came back to the father's house. He, he was ready to be a servant. He could have came back and said, look, dad, you didn't have to give me my, my inheritance. His dad didn't have to. He asked for it. His dad could have could have just said, no, come back when I'm dead. It's his inheritance. But his, dad, his dad gave it to him. He went out and was done with it as 
people are. You, you watch people make choices in, in their life, and you're just like, hey, this is a really bad decision, but it's your decision to make. And, and then it always ends up exactly where you thought it was going to end up. And again, that's hard as, as ministers to, to watch people do this. And he could have came back and been like, Daddy never should give me that money. You know, he could have blamed God. You know, I mean, there was a famine in the land. You know, God knew that famine was coming. You know, God, why don't you protect me from making this dumb decision in my life? You knew that I was about to get myself overextended. You knew, I mean, again, I don't know how many times some of us have said that. You know, God, you know, you, you let me give all this, this money, and then next thing I know, I, I come home, and other people are getting Goshen checks in the mail. I'm just getting a big fat bill I wasn't expecting in, in the mail. Now, I know none of you have ever blamed God for that, because that, that would just be ridiculous of us to do. But, you know, I imagine, you know, some other people from some other churches in another town, I've heard stories, you know, I've get upset, you know. And, and this young man, he could have blamed God for all those things. He could have blamed his dad for ever giving him his inheritance. But he came back in humility. And he was immediately restored to sonship. Because let me tell you, coming to God is never as bad as what you fear is going to be. It's never going to be as bad as what you think. The devil wants you to think that you come into the, the altar, is, you're going to leave this, this place is beat up from, from you, know, you know, six weeks from Sunday. All these types of things, but, but it's never as bad as it seems. And that's the thing that we have to convince ourselves of sometimes, the thing that, that we struggle with. And the reason why we don't always come is that, that we think that this is always going to end poorly for me. We've convinced ourselves that if I come and talk to Bishop about the things I'm struggling with, that he's, he's going to react this way. He's going to react that way. We struggle to talk to you know, young people. We struggle to talk to our parents because we think that, oh, mom and dad are going to be mad at me. They're going to be upset if I come and talk to them about the sin I'm struggling with. Young people, it's never as bad as leaving the sin hidden in your life. It's never a bad decision to go and talk to your parents, your godly parents, your praying parents, your parents who love you, who care for you. It's never a bad decision to come and talk to them. I, you know, there's not a parent in this house tonight who doesn't love you, who doesn't want to see you succeed. There isn't a, a leader on this platform, a leader across this church who isn't pulling for you, isn't praying for you. And I promise you that sin you are struggling with, it is never as bad just to come clean, come talk to, to a parent about it, come talk to a leadership about it. I promise you, think of the prodigal son. He had every reason to stay out there. He had every reason to think that his dad was just going to be like, see, son, I told you so. How many, how many times did he think if I come home to dad, he's just going to rub it in my face. The servants are going to rub it in my face. Now, I knew you'd mess up. I told you that was going to happen. He probably played that conversation in his head thousands of times. And finally, he just came home. And all he found was a robe, a signet, shoes back on his feet. And his dad threw a massive party in celebration of him. See, Blaine would have kept him away from his father. But if he just, you know, he, if we would just react the way the prodigal son did and say, look, I just, I, I just got to go home. I got to face the music. I got to come clean. I, I've got to go back to my father's house. You'll find out, man, that it, it's not, it's nowhere near what you think it's going to be. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a party. Because God is on your side. God is fighting for you. As the song that we sing around here from time to time says, God is ready to receive you back into the fold. God's ready to help you 
overcome that situation. Because in reality, it doesn't really matter how you got to where you are in that situation. That doesn't, that doesn't stop God from, from doing the things that he wants, he wants to do. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking about the, the wild man, the Gadareans, full of the devil. Not just a devil, full of devils, just thousands, a legion of devils inside of that man. We know the story. He comes down and he worships Jesus Christ. And, and there, there, there's no waiting period for this man. He immediately speaks to those devils, casts them out. And they have to ask permission, Brother Cole, to go into the swine. So my question for us guys is, well, if they have to ask permission to go into the swine, who gave them permission to go in the man? I don't think that the devils back then were just possessing whoever they wanted to because if they were possessing whoever they wanted to, they just would have possessed everybody. But no doubt at some point in time, that man invited those things into his life. He would opened his doorway. I don't know his history. I don't know his story. All I know is what I feel when I pray and I study over this and that, that that man got himself in that situation. I don't know what it was. I don't know what witchcraft he got involved in. I don't know what, what bad advice he took. I don't know how he got there. But all I know is that he was there in that situation. He was full of the devil. And I don't see one time that Jesus never said to him, well, you got yourself into this situation. Good luck. Try to get yourself out of it. But that's what we think. That's how we think God's going to react to your and I's situation. Here is a man who invited a legion of devils inside of him. And God doesn't hold that against him for one second. Because all God knows is, hey, I know you were out there then. I know you were in the caves then. I know you were naked then. I know you were breaking chains then. I know that you were full of the devil then. I know you were worshiping devils back then. That was it. All that matters is that you're here now. And if you're here and I'm here, then I'm going to deliver you of everything that you need delivered of. I'm not going to sit here and blame you for this situation. I'm not going to sit here and let you talk yourself out of a miracle because you're the one who invited those devils inside of you. And as a matter, what matters is, is that you're here now and I have the ability to do something about it. And that is the way that God will react to your situation. Do not let the blame game stop you from getting your deliverance. Do not let the blame game stop you from getting your miracle. Do not let the blame game stop you from being what God wants you to be. Because in, in the end, it really doesn't matter how we got here. What matters is that you're here. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with something, listen, I, I can't do anything about what you did yesterday. I can't do anything about what your parents did or how somebody wronged you. You know, I mean, we can go on and on. We can talk about the woman caught in a very act of adultery, you know. I don't know what kind of childhood she had growing up. I don't know what kind of abuses that she faced. I don't know what caused her to, to fling herself in, into the arms of, of another person's husband. I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. And, and, and I don't see where Jesus questioned her. There was no, there was no survey. There was no, like, you know, you might go to a doctor, and they're going to have you fill out this application and say, 
what your family history is and, and how long you've had this and what you've been doing. How many, you know, do you drink? Do you smoke? Do you do this? Do you do that? Because they're trying to figure out what can they blame you for. <laughs> yeah, that's not our, Mark, not my fault you have high blood pressure. Have you seen your diet? You know, they're trying to figure out what they can blame you for. That's why they have that piece of paper. It's great, you know. You're having trouble breathing. Well, you've been smoking since you were 12. See, you wrote it down right here in a piece of paper and you handed it over to me. Now I don't have to take the responsibility for why you have trouble breathing. This is why. You haven't exercised since the 90s. And so you told me. God never did that, though. Man comes with full of devils. He never asked him, how many seances have you been to? He never asked the woman who committed an act of adultery, what drove you into those other things? Because in, in the end, no, it doesn't really matter. Right? I'm, not, I'm not trying to talk down your situation. I'm not trying to talk down your past. Don't, don't hear me that way. Don't hear what God's saying tonight that way. But what matters is, is that, that we're here in this moment. An opportunity for forgiveness, an opportunity for deliverance, an opportunity to do something better. And what matters is how you leave from this place. Because every one of those situations, God always did two things. He took care of the situation, took care of the seed of sin, took care of that situation in life, whether it was physical, you know, mental, demonic possession, every one of those situations, sin, it didn't matter what it was. Jesus reacted the same way every time. He made it better. He told them to go forth and sin no more. He never one time questioned them about their past. It's why Paul could say that he forgetting the things which are behind. Think about who said that. The man who had Stephen and other men of God put to death. He's like, I can't do anything about that man that I was. All I could do is press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. All I can do is let God forgive me, let God wash me, let God make me whole. And now all I can do from here is just to go forth and sin no more. That's the kind of mindset. Because God, he is here for us. God is here to make things well. He's here to make all things well. And there's no prerequisite for a miracle aside from faith. As we stand across this place tonight. Now listen, I would be remiss if I didn't at least put this one disclaimer in here. And that is, look, this is not an, an invitation for you to go out to see how big of a mess you can get yourself into. All right, so let's just make sure we're clear on that. When Paul said in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So just in case you were sitting there going, all right, I'm going to put this to the test, Brother Clark. I'm going to go out and commit the biggest sin possible. I'm going to come back and see how quick God forgives me. No, no, I'm not talking about that. All right, I'm not talking about willful sin. I'm not talking about, you know, willful disobedience. I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about getting yourself in a situation that you're in, and trying to, to how am I going to go forward from this? How am I going to not allow myself to be stuck in this same rut? Right. Because here's, here's what I want to leave us with. And that is all the way back to our text tonight. John chapter 9. Blind man. Blind since birth. 
Bishop, they want to know, why is he blind? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus plainly says, it's neither. It's not because of it. Now, he, was, he wasn't saying, you look at other translations, he wasn't saying that he was sinless. You know, uh, King James, they just kind of sound that way a little bit, but um, what he's saying is it, it's nothing to do with if his parents sinned or, or his own sin. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of figuring out why that man was blind? Jesus like, I'm not here to cast blame about how we got into the situation that, that we're in. I mean, we all could do that. We all could figure out a reason why we have the struggles that we do. He says, not because of any of this. It's so that God can receive glory. So that God can be manifest in his life. Now, granted, again, I'm not saying that, you know, listen, don't, don't go out and, hey, I'm going to bring God a lot of glory. I'm going to get myself with a whole bunch of sin. I'm going to get myself in a big mess. And when God brings me out of it, whoo, I'm going to shout about it. No, that's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is that it doesn't really matter to God how necessarily how you got in that situation that you're in. It didn't matter that the blind man was blind because of the sins of his parents or because of his own sin. All that Jesus knew was that there was a need, there was a hunger to be made whole, and he was the only one who could do anything about it. And the only prerequisite for any, for any of us to receive the miracle that we need in our lives tonight is way back in Second Chronicles. It simply says, if my people were to call by my name to humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their lands. Don't get caught up in the blame game. Don't get caught up in trying to figure out who's at fault, who's this, who's that. If you have something that you're struggling with tonight, something that you're fighting, something that, that you have found yourself in, you're not really sure how to get out of it. If my people all but my name, to humble themselves. Because blaming is not humble. Blaming is proud. It's a form of pride. Right? It's not my fault. Look at me. I, it's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's your fault. Okay. But humble ourselves and pray. Can we pray right now? God, in the name of Jesus. God, we're not going to let our flesh, our guilt, certainly not going to let the accuser of the brother stop us from getting what you have for us. God, as we pray tonight, Lord, I'm praying that those of us who are fighting things, those of you who are struggling, those of us who are wrestling with things tonight, God, we lay them all at your feet. We ask, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, God, you would help us, Lord, to overcome them. Those seeds of sin, Lord God, that are trying to get themselves back into our lives, those things that we are fighting with, things that we are battling with, Lord Jesus. I can tell you a thousand reasons, a million reasons, God, of why I get into the situation I get into. But, God, all I know is that one thing. You're here for me. You're here to help me, God. Your arm is not short, Lord God. Your, your ear is not deaf, Lord God. Lord, you are able, Lord Jesus, to heal our land, Lord God, tonight. So we humble ourselves, Lord God. Because, Lord God, we depend on you. We cannot do this without you, Lord. God, I am dependent on you, Lord Jesus. I might have got myself into my own situations, Lord God, but you're the one who can get me out of it. God, you make a way of escape, Lord God, every way for us, Lord Jesus. God, I remind the God that you taught us to pray that lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, 
Amen. Can we clap our hands to the Lord right now in the name of Jesus?